Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with the lovely Vatisha Bowler. Vatisha is an educator, an advocate, an author, and she's a breast cancer survivor, and she's here to talk to us all about that. Vatisha, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. It is such a pleasure to have you here. I just love these connections uh, because you are someone who happened to reach out to me because you listened to the podcast. You reached out via email. Here we are talking even more, and uh, it's just it's always such an amazing feeling to, to connect like that with listeners and a uh, reminder to all of those who are tuning in right now that this could be you. So, <laughs> so it's great to chat with you. We're in the midst of the COVID pandemic as we record. So Vatisha and I are both at home uh, doing our thing. And um, I figured we'd start at the very beginning of your story as we always do, Vatisha. Can you tell us when and how you first realized you were sick and what steps you've since taken to control your health? Okay. Um, I realized that something wasn't right one afternoon when I was doing Zumba, of all things. Wow. Um, I was in the midst of, in the midst of doing a workout and one particular dance move my left arm brushed up against my breast and I felt a lump. I felt something mm. on the side of my left breast. So I immediately got the feeling on the right breast, didn't feel anything, but I started feeling back again on the left breast. Something wasn't right. So were I you someone up. who prior to this did like regular self checks too? I never did. Not like I should have. I will admit I, I was one that never did the regular self checks. Mm. Um, but prior to actually doing the Zumba workout, I did, I was noticing that my left breast was slightly bigger, was bigger than my right breast. Mm. But at, I was always told that 
one breast is always bigger than the other. Sure. So I so I didn't think anything of it until I did that workout that day. Mm. Call my mom. Um, she told me to get in touch with my doctor because it's probably she was thinking it's probably a cyst. Mm-hmm. My um, the women in my family have cyst. Uh, what do you call it? I guess cystic breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking it's just my turn. Yeah, absolutely. And how old so, were you at this time too? I'm 36. Wow, so quite I was, young. I was 36. So made the uh, made the appointment with my primary doctor. He did an examination. Yeah, he felt something. So he, did he put in a referral for you? He put in a referral for um, a mammogram. Mm-hmm. So I went and had the mammogram done. And and that's a weird thing too. Like when you're in your 30s, I have to say, because having been there myself, um, especially when you have larger breasts and they tend to be like kind of ropey texture, mm-hmm. you may be more yeah, likely breasts, to have yeah. cysts and, and little growths and things and want to get them checked out over time. And going into like a women's imaging center and getting mammograms and ultrasounds, you tend to be the youngest person there. And that can be a little unsettling. And that was, and that was, and that was the case for me. I can mm-hmm. remember sitting in the waiting room and looking around and I was literally the youngest one in there because yeah. at the time, um, I think the guidelines were you have to have you get your first mammogram, I think at the age 50. Oh, 50. And now it's like 40 or 45, and now it's I like think. 40, 45. Yeah. Here I am, 36, mm-hmm. getting ready to have my first mammogram. Yeah. So I get the mammogram done. Of course, they see something. So I had to go have a um, biopsy done. Sure. Have the biopsy done. And as the doctor is doing conducting the biopsy, I'm asking him, is it a cyst? Mm-hmm. And he says, no, it's harder than a cyst, but we're going to test it and find out. And okay. all this happened, this, the, bio, the biopsy happened on February 26, 2014. Mm-hmm. The very next day, February 27th, at approximately 1.35 p.m., I will never forget it. Mm-hmm. I got the call stating that it was breast cancer. Wow. That's so, when the journey began. Yeah. So at this point, you're 36 years old. This is also an anniversary you've just had. Because when we first spoke before recording this interview, I think it was like on your anniversary date yes. of diagnosis. Um, and it's pretty incredible to be getting a diagnosis like that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Because typically we're seeing breast cancer. It's something that happens when you're a little older. That's why these regular mammograms start for women later in life. And yet, exactly. and, and no family history. No history, no family history on, on my immediate family. I'm the first one. Um, like you said, it, it, I was always under the impression of breast cancer, p- older women mm-hmm. would get diagnosed with it. How am I getting it at? I'm 36. Yeah. I'm healthy as a horse. You know, I'm, I'm at the prime of, I'm in the prime of my life, prime of my career. Good. And you telling me I'm having, I have something that could possibly kill me. Yeah. It's when we hear that big C word, isn't it? It was a punch in the gut. Yeah. It was a punch in the gut. And given the fact that I'm here in Maryland and my parents, my immediate family is in South Carolina. Mm. Call my mom. She was on the next flight out. Yeah, of course. And the journey began from there. What was the recommended course of treatment once the biopsy came back and you got the Once the biopsy came back, um, of course, I had to go through several other tests to um, see and scans, uh, CT, well, scans, PET scans, Mm -hmm. um, EKGs, all that to see whether or not 
MRIs to see whether or not the cancer has spread it to any other parts of my body or whether or not it was just confined to my breast. Oh, that's scary. It was beyond scary. Yeah. Um, come to find out it had started, it was spread into my lymph nodes. So I had to have, I had to start treatment immediately. Mm. Um, I was diagnosed with inst- at stage two B. So I was going into stage three. Um, before treatment started, because I don't have children, um, it was recommended by my doc, by my uh, breast surgeon that I um, have my eggs frozen. And so I need to go to a uh, fertility uh, clinic to get that done. Mm-hmm. Had that done the entire month of March. And that's that, a, that is its own journey in and of itself. Because I, oh the, I mean, look, I'm of that age where friends are starting to do that or have already done it. Um, and it's the kind of thing that it takes a lot out of your body. And we're talking breast cancer, which is already an estrogen led cancer. And you have to be on estrogen to harvest the eggs. So this is like, whoa. In the midst of me having to harvest my eggs, I remember because I had to go every day Mm. to the clinic so they can do ultrasound, do blood work, see how big the eggs have gotten. I could, I remember one, one of those days, particular days, it was snowing. Mm. And I called to make, see, do I still need to come? And it's snowing outside, people sliding off the road. The roads are bad. They was like, yes, you have to come. So I am driving because the hospital, the the clinic is uh, about 45 minutes from my house. Mm. So I'm driving like Miss Daisy. I'm driving 20 miles an hour, literally in the snow, seeing cars on the side of the road because they didn't slid off from the snow from driving too fast. I'm trying to get to, I mean, it was, yeah, it's a lot to be thinking about. It was a lot to be thinking about. Um, and I, like I said, having that done first, and then I started my treatment, my treatment plan consisted of chemotherapy, mm-hmm. ready. Um, lump, I had a lumpectomy. I, I decided on a lumpectomy and radiation. So my right. chemo started on April the 11th, 2014. And were you offered genetic testing for BRCA and anything I, else? I did that. I did the BRCA testing, tested negative for that. Lucky. And so that, that was, that was, um, that helped, helped me in making this, the decision to um, have the lumpectomy versus having a double mastectomy. Yeah, absolutely. So what came first? Chemo, radiation, surgery? Did surgery happen chemo, first? Chemo came for, chemo had to come first. Wow. In my treatment plan, chemo came first. So I did eight weeks every other Friday. Um, mind, and mind you, I teach kindergarten. Hmm. So having to go through chemo, but the thing about it, my faith really kicked in. It, it wasn't nobody but God on my side because I never got sick. I breathed. Wow. I breathed through chemo. Wow. Oh, devastating thing that happened for me during chemo was I lost my hair. Wow. So did the kids notice? Was that something where the kids were commenting and asking questions? Whenever I, when my, when my hair fell out, when my mm-hmm. hair came out and I shaved my head, I would wear scarves. I didn't right. start wearing, I didn't start going bald mm-hmm. until towards the end of the chemo. Um, some started to um, start asking questions. I didn't tell, I, I didn't come out and, and tell my kids that I was, that I was sick. My parents started noticing throughout the, throughout the treatment. And I, 
it eventually told them and they were so supportive. Yeah. My staff at the school that I teach at had been my rock. Um, they had things in place for me if I needed um, if I needed a break. Mm-hmm. Um, they had teachers in place that would come and take over my classroom while Wonderful. I go and laid in the nurse. My nurse our school nurse, she was on me like, oh my gosh, like she was my own doctor. Mm-hmm. And and I and my principal, same way. If I needed to take a day off, they had everybody had they they had it this all. This is how off. all employers should be, but I'm particularly absolutely. glad to hear and, that and that's something in an educational that, um, setting it was like absolutely that. and this is something that I I, I want again I, people, especially employers, need to understand mm-hmm. and they need to have that kind of compassion because you don't know what it's like for us going through this type of trauma in our lives. This is, it is terrible. Um, But I I was so fortunate to have that type of support. I had, um, instead of most cancer patients, when they went through chemo, they lose weight. Hmm. I gained weight. I had one, I had one um, colleague who, whenever I didn't feel like eating, she would make me eat. She would make meals for me. Um, all I had to do, she would freeze it. I'd take it home whenever I needed it. Whenever I ate, they made sure that I ate. Your community sure. showed up. And showed out. Yeah. They showed up and they showed out. Um, mind you, I, I lost some friends. I lost some people that I cared about along the way. But I got, I gained an army of supporters. Mm-hmm. And I could not have been more grateful for that. Wow. So you went through the chemo, then the lumpectomy, then the yep. radiation. Then the radiation. How long did that entire course of treatment end up taking? Um, I began chemo April the 11th, finished chemo July. Can't remember when in July. Took a break. Mm. My lumpectomy was on August 20th. Mm. Uh, took a break. Radiation started in September hmm. and I finished and radiation was every day, Monday through Friday, 30 hmm. minutes a day. And I finished radiation day before my birthday on November 29th, 2014. Wow. The best birthday gift I could have ever received. Absolutely. So by the end of the treatment, was your body run down? My, what was the yes. result? Yeah. My body, I was worn out. Um, like I said, I breezed through chemo. Chemo, mm-hmm. I, I breezed through that. Radiation got me. Yeah. At the beginning of radiation, I was fine, but towards the end, that's when my I got extremely tired. Um, I didn't have any energy, and it, it, I literally had to push myself to go to the um, to go have radiation done. But it wasn't until towards that towards the latter part of radiation where it, it was just like, okay, come on. Yeah. It's, it's time. It's I'm done. It's, yeah. it's time to get this over with. Yeah. But um, thankfully, you know, I, I had to dig deep and yeah. get and get that strength to keep pushing so that we can get this treatment done because I'm like, okay, we've come too far mm. to stop now. We are all, we're at the end. I can, I can see the finish line. Got to yeah. keep pushing, keep pushing. So it, it took not only self-encouragement, but it took the encouragement of my supporters, my family, my friends, my best friends, my sorority, so everybody that mm. was in contact with me, my support groups yeah. to get me going. So yeah, yeah it, that, it, it, when I tell you my body has, has t- taken a, who's taken a beating. Yeah. And now I feel like, gosh, 
I can, if I beat cancer, I can beat anything. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm like so strong right now um, because of the fact that I, I'm on the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. But, so but this was, was after this course of treatment, was this, did you get test results after this? And you, I'm sure you've been going back and checking, but mm-hmm. did they give you the all clear so you didn't have to continue additional treatment? I, I got the all clear. What um what I do now is I still have my I still have to see my oncologist every six months. Sure. Um, but my mammograms, my um breast exams, um checks with the breast surgeon, those are now once a year. Mm, that's amazing. That's a yes, huge I'm, step. I am currently um on tamoxifen. Tamoxifen for I at the time when I got on it, because um, it's now 10 years, I have to be on it. I'm on it now for 10 years. Prior, before that, I think it was the guidelines, I think it was five years. Hmm. But now it's 10. So I got four more years to go. Okay. So Tamoxifen, tell us, is that a hormone suppressing drug? It is a hormone suppressing drug. Yep. It, it helps prevent the, um, you know, the reoccurrence. Yeah. The estrogen, all that. Yes. So this is also sent you into a, a menopause as well at an earlier age. Actually, when I went through chemo, I went through menopause. At the same um, time. And menopause same, is in and of itself a huge thing. When I went through, I'm like, oh my God, I got to go through this again when I get older? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's one one minute I'm fine. And in the next minute, I'm like drenching in sweat. Mm. And I'm like, what is this? Yeah. So it, yeah, mood swings. And I've, I, I was, I've always been an emotional person. That's just my personality. But when I went through menopause, it was like twice as bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go through this again. I mean, it's tough because you're already going through one trauma and then, exactly. and then you're messing with your hormones and you've gone from being super fertile and like doing the egg harvesting. Right. And then to being completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. And going through two traumas at once, two grieving processes at once, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, mind boggling. Absolutely mind boggling. Mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you've come through this on the other side and now you're doing right. annual checks. And when you got the lumpectomy, did you also get reconstructive surgery? I got reconstruction. Yes. Yeah. I got the reconstruction as well. That's amazing. So now you are in a place where you're so much on the other side of it that you're able to like go for the checkups a little less frequently and, mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. keep an eye on things though, obviously. Absolutely. And even, even with that, I, there's still a level of anxiety mm. because I, especially during that time of year, when it's time for the checkups, I always get really emotional because the thought is always in the back of my mind. What if this is the year? Mm. that it comes back. So this is something, that's something you're going to have to live with. I, for the rest of your I life. have to live with this for the rest of my life. Does that and also mean that the rest of your life is, is organized around prevention too? Yes. Mm. Um, once I, once I go through the checkups and I get the all clear, it's almost like I, I, I feel a sense of relief and I can, I can move forward. But when it's time, when moving up to that point, it's like my mind gets to to thinking, okay, if it does reoccur, what's going to be my plan of action? Mm-hmm. So I'm like laying everything out of what am I going to do if this if this if it so happens that it comes back, mm-hmm. and is something that I do every year, and I'm I can and I 
I feel like I can speak for those that have gone through the experience. Mm-hmm. That's something that you, no matter how, how strong your faith is, we're human. And it's going to always be, is that thought is always going to be there. It's yeah. always going to be there. So that's, that's the real chronic part of it. Aside from the fact that yeah. you're going to be, you know, mindful of diet, exercise, lifestyle, you know, in order to prevent reoccurrence, but the additional the emotional trauma, trauma, the mental the part. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I actually had to, um, I had to have, I had to let my, get my mother to understand that uh, it's not only, you know, the physical part, but it's that emotional piece is that social piece. That's, that's, that's always going to be there too. Yeah. And just to get her to, you know, and although, you know, she was there with me every step of the way, my mom was my rock my family was my rock, but they didn't go through what I went through. Mm. You know, they had, although she was there holding my hand the entire time, but it's just until you can actually walk in my shoes and until you can, you know, you didn't have the poison put in your body to kill all these cells. You weren't the one that you lightly touch your hair in clumps of hair. You know, you didn't have to go through all that, but you know, it, it's that mental, that mental and emotional part is just as, whew, it's, it's yeah. just as traumatic and just as emo, you know, and for, it's just as traumatic for, you know, for a cancer patient hmm. as, as well as the physical part. Yeah, absolutely. Did you seek guidance in that? Did you look oh. into mental health care as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went through, um, I went through counseling. Um, I, you know, seek counseling. I, you know, always, I talked to my, um, you know, besides talking to family, you know, talking to pa- um, my pastor, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. And I, yeah, and I you, think we reached know, out to people. You and I, I had, you, you have to, because if you, the, keeping that inside mm-hmm. and not having some, and not, talking to someone can do more harm than good. Yes. And, you know, like, you know, like you say, you know, not only do you need to take care of your physical body, but the mental is just as important and that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about how your community showed up and showed out. And I'm wondering, you know, along this journey to diagnosis and treatment and now wellness, now on the other side of it, where you are, Mm -hmm. did you find that you needed particular advocates to lean on? Were there specific people in your life who really stepped up and became your rocks during that time? And and has that impacted your relationship with them? My best friend, my best friends, Hmm. who who are my two best friends who are still back home in South Carolina. Hmm. Although they couldn't get to get here to Maryland as as much as they could, showed up in ways that I could have never imagined. Mm-hmm. One, my best friend, we have we've been best friends since kindergarten. We was in the same kindergarten class, and she would be on the phone with me while I was sitting through um, sitting through chemo. My other friends, um, my other best friend, she would be on one line. I'll be on another line. You know, they would send me gifts um, to help me to get through. They will always, you know, check on me. And that going through going through that and and seeing how it affected them Hmm. as well. Brought us a little more closer together. 
That's beautiful. I mean, it's interesting because this is what I, I hear from people most of the time that like the people who become the advocates in these stories for the patients among us. Yes. It ends up deepening relationships it, and it's I'm quite incredible. The best friend that we've been, the one that we've been, been friends since kindergarten, she, she was like my doctor. You know, I would tell her what was going on and she, and she works in the medical, she works in, um, at a hospital in the IT field, but she, she knows all about it. So every time I would get on the phone with her, she was, she asking me, you know, all these different questions. She's Googling stuff. She's sending me this and telling me to do this and do that. She was like my doctor, but I, and, and to this day, she is, she still stays on top of me. Um, she makes sure that, you know, I, I have what I need. Um, and especially now during this COVID, during this pandemic, yeah. she is really on me now um, mm. to make sure that I'm staying inside. You know, I'm, I'm doing stuff to keep my immune system boosted up. And, you know, so. Yeah. But they have, they have truly, they have truly been my, they have truly been my rock. And I tell them, you, you can't get rid of me now, even if you <laughs> wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if you told me today that you wanted that you don't want to be my friend anymore, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, that's not, a joke. I'm, not, accept, <laughs> yeah. I'm not accepting that. I love that. I love ex- that. No, not accepting that. You that cannot you know. get rid of me. Can't get, re- can't get rid of me. Just nope. Yeah. And it goes not both ways too, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you're showing up for them when they need you as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what friendship is all about. Yeah. Absolutely. So the good times and the bad. Yes. Very good point. Mm-hmm. So what does a typical day look like for you now as you're managing the potential side effects of medications you're still on or, you know, preparation for these appointments and, and lifestyle changes that you've made to prevent a recurrence? How are you balancing the demands of work and life as you're also being aware of being a long-term cancer patient? Yes. Uh um, there are challenges mm. with the tamoxifen that I'm on, um, because it's a steroid, I've gained weight. Mm. Well, you look great. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> um, it has, it's, it's made me gain weight. So with that, you know, sometimes I, I have, um, image issues, mm. self-esteem issues. Um, but that probably started when you were losing your hair too, right? It did. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Yes, it, absolutely. Um, my diet has changed. Drastically, I, you know, I I eat a lot more fruits and vegetables now. Um, prior to pre-cancer, um, just getting ready, you know, just making sure that I'm noticing my body more, mm-hmm. noticing more changes. You know, if I see it now, now if I see any the slightest change. I panic now. I, yeah, sure. I, I panic and I'm on the phone with my, what is going No, yeah. you, need to, you need to tell me what's happening, what, what we need to do. Um, do you think that's made you a bit of a hypochondriac? <laughs> yeah. And Cause I, you're just I, yeah. on such high alert. I, I, I'm so exactly. I'm on such high alert now because like I said, that, that, I, I always have it in the back of my mind. Oh my gosh, you know, this, the slightest change. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this is it? Mm-hmm. And not only with you no know, changes in my breast, but any any other changes that I see in my body, I'm thinking, oh my God, did it spread to other parts of my body now? Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm learning more about metastatic breast cancer and I'm learning that for those that have had early stage cancer before can later in life, 
be diagnosed with metastatic. That's that's the the thing that is going through my mind, and that is all the time. How are you managing that stress? Um, when I when it when the thoughts come when the thoughts come into my mind, I try to think of something positive. Mm. Um, I try to immediately try to just block it out. Um, I pray. Mm. I, I really tap into my faith. Um, music helps me to just get my mind off of things. Um, just talking. Sounds like just getting out of your head. Just getting out of my head. That's, and, and that's where, yeah. And that's my big thing. I have to stay out of my head. That in many ways, that chronic illness lives between your ears, doesn't it? There it is right there. Yep. And I, I think that's such an important point for people who are listening to understand whether they relate to it or not, because when you're a chronic illness patient, you know, and, and having cancer, you're a chronic illness patient with cancer. This is something that's, that's long-term. It's something that's lifelong. That's going to affect your point of view. Um, and the way that you treat your body, you know, it, it really is so much about the mental state that it, it switches you into. And, and the fact that you're acknowledging that and that you sought counseling and have coping techniques is so important because you could just live in that state of stress all the time. And that high alert fight or flight, that's no good for you either. And that stress is not good. And stress can call, you know, can trigger so many things. So many things, and you definitely don't want that added added stress to your body. Yeah. So you you mentioned that you know when you found the lump, you went to your GP, he agreed. You know, so like pretty much from the get go, people were on your team. Mm-hmm. Have you been in a position at all where you've been forced to validate your experience or your illness to people who just didn't agree with it because they couldn't see it? You have not. I have not. Mm-mm. That's good. That's good. I, I sometimes wonder if it's this, this this thing about cancer, that cancer is such a widely known. Mm-hmm. And even though there's so much we still don't understand about it, you know, right. there's right. a lot of press behind cancer. And I, mm-hmm. I, it seems to me that it's one of those illnesses that like you can tell your neighbor you have cancer and they know how serious that is, mm-hmm. you know? So like to be able to go to your doctor and be believed. However, statistically, we also know. No. That yeah. being a woman of color, color, mm-hmm. and this is a big part of your platform too, right? Mm-hmm. You know that often women of color, whether it's their own like social upbringing or whether mm-hmm. it's their experience mm-hmm. in the medical system, they may not know what to look for, or may have doctors who don't believe them on a much higher rate. The lack of um, educate, excuse me, the lack of education, mm. lack of trust. Mm. With yeah, the medical, medical field, medical doctors, and the fact that we wait until it's until it's gotten so bad, mm. and then we go to the doctor because of the lack of trust. Because of the lack of trust. So, how did that affect your relationship with medicine when you were going through this? Um, my well, growing up. I, and I can only speak for my family. Yeah, we've all we've all always have been a family when that we we've, we've always gone to the doctor. Mm. Um, my mother, she's whenever something's wrong, she's she's first one there, and that's and that's how she brought me and my siblings up. So, um, but speaking, you know, in general with the African American community, um, a lot 
wait until it's too late. Yeah. Um, because not only, you know, lack of trust, lack of um, education, but time, because mm-hmm. many um, families, you know, they, they work yep. and they don't have time to go to the doctor or they try to self-medicate mm-hmm. themselves. And when it gets and when they go to the doctor, they go when it's just when they can't take it anymore, when right. the pain is just so bearable or when it's, they can truly see that something is wrong. And when they go finally get to the doctor, hmm. then they're either diagnosed at a later stage hmm. and then the treatment won't be as, um, won't have a much success rate right? when they, is if, when they should have gone yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you working to bridge that gap and provide educational resources? By doing, by doing what I'm doing now, yeah. doing these, doing the podcasts, um, sharing, just going out and sharing my stories with sharing my story at different events, um, just spreading the word out in the community, becoming a patient advocate, just to get that information out there to help the community, the African-American community to start earning, start trusting in the medical field and mm-hmm. especially with medical doctors to let them know that, you know, we're not, we're not back in the sixties and seventies when they had all these experimental experiments going on that was supposed to have helped us, but in mm-hmm. actuality was harming us. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just making, you know, just expressing and emphasizing the importance of making sure that we are healthy for generations to come, mm-hmm. make sure that we are healthy so that we can be able to, you know, live the lives that we are destined to live. And um, I love that not, idea that your, your health doesn't just belong to you. It does not, you know, it belongs you to the community. Your, it belongs to the community. It belongs to your family. You know, you have, you know, families that are depending on you to be healthy and well. And, and mm. in order for you to do that, you're going to have to not so much as take a risk, but you're going to have to learn how to, you know, what happened in the past that happened in the past. This we're in a totally different times. Now medicine has changed. Technology has changed. Um, and so you have to be able to definitely um, get that trust. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to, um, get them to turn around and, and, and get them um, and to change their mindset. That, and you mean the patients, get the patients to turn. Get, around. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Get the, get the, get yeah. the patients to, you know, to change their mindsets because they've been thinking this way for so long. So. Sure. Just, yeah. So what about though? I mean, we know about the statistics out there, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that affect people of color and women of color in particular at like, you know, sort of the the highest rates of negligence, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we know that this lack of trust comes from a real place, you know. Absolutely. And aside from educating patients, are there also ways to educate patients that you've been working on, you know, whether it's communicating with their care team in specific ways or even communicating with like people in the medical field about how to be more open when a woman of color walks into their office, so they believe them? I attended a conference, um, a breast cancer conference in San Antonio this past December. Mm-hmm. And there was a um, panel discussion, a, a panel with um, doctors, with um, 
patients, breast cancer survivors, and actual patients. And that was one of the topics that came up. So just getting, just being present, I think, and attending these types of events, these conferences, where there's medical professionals, um, so that they can see that this, we can, not only can we get it too, Mm. but also that we can, you know, understanding that we need your support and you and we need to be able to trust trust you so that you can give us the adequate um yeah. care that we need so that we can bridge this gap mm. because african americans especially women of color die for, um of breast cancer 40% is 40% higher mm. than non women of color mm. so that is the only way that we can bridge this gap yeah Absolutely. Just so it's really it about together. getting everyone in the same room, isn't it? The that's, patient that's it. and the doctors. Everyone mm. at the same table. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that's really well expressed. And, and, you know, when we know that these statistics are not in the favor of certain groups of people, it, it behooves us to make the statistics better, to make the Absolutely. numbers better for everyone at the table, because again, our health doesn't belong to us alone. It belongs to a whole community. It belongs to the whole community. Yeah. I think that's. And when there's, and, and like we said, if, when there's not a seat for us at the table, then we got to bring our own chairs and make a place for us yes. at the table because our voices need to be heard as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact mm-hmm. that there are women like you who are encouraging other yes. women, not just women of color, you're encouraging all kinds of women, I, but you know, everybody. that's your focus, everybody. you know, so much of what you're, you're working toward mm-hmm. and, and not uh, so, speaking and to me, is, you know, it is absolutely. And it's for me, it's, you know, it's not so much, you know, my, my target focus is of course, women of color, mm-hmm. but young, young mm-hmm. women, because I'm finding that more and more young people, young women are getting diagnosed with this every year. When I went to this conference, I met a, a young lady that was diagnosed at 19. Wow. At 19, I'm thinking about where I'm going to college or what? No, I think I was already in college. What, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. what party, what college what party, party yeah. I'm going to not whether or not I'm not thinking live. about chemo or, yeah. you know, having surgery mm. blew my mind. And mm. I'm like, wow. Why do you think that is? Do you think that, I mean, I feel like there's like a two pronged approach here that like on one level, more women are becoming more aware of their bodies and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, learning to speak up for themselves. So that's one part where people are getting diagnosed earlier because they're actually going. But the other part of it is like, why are people getting cancer at 19? Like, do you think that this is aside from the genetic factors Mm -hmm. that contribute to breast cancer? Do you think that there's an environmental issue at play here that needs to be addressed too? Uh, yeah. Um, part, partly, yes. And I think it could be in the foods that we, um, in the foods that we eat as well. Yeah. Um, and how foods are processed mm-hmm. with all these pesticides and, uh, you know, we're not eating as much organic foods as we should. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but also to family, knowing our family history yeah, is a That's big, so important. I'm so that glad you brought so that because, up. Oh my 
my gosh. And especially in the, Af- and speaking from African-American standpoint, mm-hmm. we don't talk about our family history like we should. Mm-hmm. We know about the family history when we get the, when we get the illness. That's when, oh, well, you know, your great grandmother, your great grandfather or somebody in your family had this. No, I didn't. (laughs) Had I known then maybe I would have taken more, you know, precautions precautions to get checked out earlier to try to help prevent it from me getting it. Mm. So that's one, that's another thing that I tell, you know, that I, I try to get information out to the community to talk about your family history. Don't mm. wait until somebody gets it and then yeah. you want to share. No, 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 no. So that's, that's, a, I think that's, that's a big factor. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what are the next steps in your advocacy? Are you continuing to, I mean, I know it's sort of tougher right now with COVID going on, but <sighs> yes, you with know, COVID what is that looking on, like for you as, as 2020 <laughs> continues marching on? I wish that we could just unplug 2020 and put it <laughs> take it out. The I keep seeing memes about it. 2020 just being canceled. <laughs> You know, I'm ready for, you know, I'm ready for New Year's Eve so that we can go ahead into 2021. I'm ready to run Um, into the street and kiss everyone and hug them all again. (laughs) I think, you know, because everybody's asking, you know, what's the first thing that you're going to do when, you you know, when you're able to travel? I'm like, well, I'm got to go home and just see my family. family. Yeah. And there was so, I had a few trips that I had planned. Of course, I had to cancel them. And I'm like, I have got to get somewhere where I could put my feet into some sand and some water. Yeah. And I'm good to go. But um, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. um it, it's it's definitely have been a challenge. Um, one thing that I I I have been doing um besides doing the you know the patient advocate with um this wonderful organization called Tiger Lily um, Foundation, which um a, again focuses on um breast cancer and metastatic breast cancer with um, women of um, with women, but also with women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a um, podcast. Um, Ooh. Yes. Yes. That's working amazing. on a podcast. And um, I, I started one sometime before, mm-hmm. but I'm revamping and I am excited about that. So got mm-hmm. some things in place, um, working, have some things um, in place right now. So I'm, I'm looking to launch um, preferably by early summer. So that's another avenue, um, of getting the, you know, getting the word out, getting the information out. Um, when I did it, I found it, I, I, that was my niche. I I like, I Mm -hmm. like doing that. Um, and I I loved, you know, talking with other advocates, other, um, survivors, Mm -hmm. other patients, just, you know, just giving them a platform to just talk. A lot of patients, you know, may not want to share their experience. So I wanted my, I want my space, my, my podcast to be a, a, a space where a safe space where they can just, we can t- share experiences. We can talk about, you know, not only the physical and emotional part of it, but the social part of it, because mm-hmm. cancer affects everything, every aspect of your life. Finances is is dating, especially if you're not if you're not married, such as myself. You know, dating yeah. and, and and cancer and just being out 
you know, out and about and just living how you're living your life. And, and so that that is the space that I'm creating. And so I'm looking forward to getting back into that. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm revamping and um, adding some new things and some new things to the podcast. Um, came up, got a new name and all this good stuff. So I'm looking forward to doing that early, um, early summer. That's great. So we'll definitely link to that. Uh, when Absolutely. It's out. And um, that's that's very exciting. And at the end of the interview, I'll have you share where everyone can find you. But um, yeah. we're sliding into sort of the end portion of our interview here. And I okay. like to round up with a couple of top three lists. Okay. And I wondered if you could give us your top three tips for someone, maybe they suspect something's off, maybe they felt a lump, maybe they've already got their diagnosis. What are your top three tips for someone who's entering this world of, for what it's worth, invisible chronic illness, be it cancer or otherwise? Top three tips. Hmm. First, I would say um, get a support system. Have a support system in place. You definitely do not want to, you don't want to go through this alone and you don't have to go through this alone. Um, Utilize resources that are out there because there is a plethora of resources, online resources that you can use to help get you through this journey. Um, and know that it's, um, that it's not a death sentence, mm. that you can, you can thrive and survive through this. If I can do it, I tell everybody, if I can do it, you can do it. And I've met so many, I've met a lot of people that are living with this, this, with this beast that have had it for years. And I never knew that was something that I learned that you could, that you could live with this thing for years on end. So, and you can have a, you can have a a fulfilling, you can have a, a, a great life. So just know that it's not a death sentence. Definitely get a support system because you you want somebody there in your corner to help you when those moments when you just feel like giving up or you just too tired to move. You need somebody to just give you that push and utilize those on utilize those resources out yeah. there that's for you. Yeah, because especially for something like cancer, there are a lot of resources there available are online. So there's so many, mm. so many, so many. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So another top three list. This one right. is a little more fun. Okay. Top three things that give you unbridled joy. So this is stuff like maybe, you know, you've made these lifestyle changes. You've changed your diet. You've changed the way you're living your life, your rest, your exercise, et cetera. But top three things that you just absolutely will not give up no matter what. This could be guilty pleasures. It could be secret indulgences, comfort activities, places you turn in the dark for light. What are they? Music. Mm. Pasta. <laughs> my guilty. Oh my gosh. My guilty. <laughs> I, I can't, I cannot get rid of pasta. That, I'm sorry. I just can't do it. Um, well then you'll be fine for quarantine. Cause it's just a carb fest. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, music, pasta and just lit and just travel. I feel like you're an Italian deep down inside. <laughs> I think I am. Yeah. I think I, 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 think I am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just that zest for everybody life. Everybody who knows me know my, that's my, my favorite food, pasta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And an Italian loves music and travel too. So there you go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So 
tell everyone who's listening where they can find you and the new podcast as well. If you have any uh, social media links or anything available. Well, you can reach me on, um, I'll give you all three of my um, Mm -hmm. social media handles, Twitter. I am at feisty, (laughs) F-I-E-S-T-Y-I-V, all one word. Um, Instagram, I am at Vatisha B, that's at lowercase letters, V-A-T-E-S-H-A-B. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, I am Tisha, T-E-S-H-A Bowler, B-O-U-L-E-R. That's wonderful. So guys, if you're tuning in, please connect with Vatisha, especially if you are in the breast cancer community. I'm sure she would love to talk to you. Absolutely. I am her podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Vatisha, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before I release you into the evening? <laughs> this, nope. I just want to say thank you again for allowing me to come on your show. And I'm so glad that I linked up with, I, I linked up with you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. Yeah. Um, didn't even seem like an interview. It was just like, we're just having a it's conversation. Usually, that's how, that's when and you know it's a good one. <laughs> that, I, and that's, and that's what I loved about it. So, but thank you. I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to get my story, um, to help share my story again. And I want to thank everybody who is out there listening. Um, please follow me and I will definitely, um, if you are out there and you are a patient, um, if if you're newly diagnosed, know that I am here as a support for you because we are all in this together. You are you are my breast cancer sister, no matter where in the world you are. So mm-hmm. um, just know that I'm here and I thank you. Thank you so much, Patricia. It's such Absolutely. a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> it was such wonderful. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.